Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 32 years. Wow. What a big day I had in the operating room yesterday. It's fantastic. So many injuries to weekend warriors. Take care of yourselves. But I'm available if you need me. And each and every Saturday, you get to hear what it's like to be an orthopedic surgeon. I'm so excited for today's show because at 8.15 calling in, my guest is Mirren Fader. She's an author, a woman in sports, and she wrote a book before Giannis won the championship for Milwaukee. She was already on top of the story of his life. She realized how lovable this superstar was. There's something special about him and started to follow his life and wrote a biography about his early years. He's not that old to begin with, but his journey to superstardom is awesome when you realize where he really came from and how he did it. And it made me think all week how special Giannis is because of this journey. And it was super fun to watch him win the championship. But what struck me the most and struck all of us the most was the press conference after the game. It reminded me of Ron Artest, Meta World Peace. Remember? Kobe passed me the ball. I can't believe Kobe trusted me. He passed me the ball. It's in that time of complete adrenaline that victory, that you hear that athlete really tell you the truth. Well, the same thing happened when we heard Giannis. Here's the soundbite of him talking about that journey. This is my city. You know, they trust me. They believe in me. They believe in us. Even when we were like, we were lost, the city still was like on our side. And, um, you know, obviously I I wanted to get the job done. You know, uh, they, but that's my stubborn side. Like, it's easy to go somewhere and go and win a championship with somebody else. It's easy. I could go, I, I don't want to put anybody in the spot, but I could go to a super team and, you know, just do my part and win a championship, still one. But this is the hard way to do it, and this is the way I chose to And we did it. He's saying, I'm doing it the Michael Jordan way, not the Kevin Durant way. That's basically what he's saying. But then he gives credit to his teammate. Chris Middleton. This is also something that struck me. Listen to him talk about his teammate and how important Chris Middleton was to his success. He doesn't realize how much he pushed me to be great. He pushes me to be great. You know, I had a lot of people throughout my career that pushed me to be great and be consistent and be just be dominant, just keep coming, keep working hard. And he's one of those guys. You know, and uh, there was nobody in this world I would rather do this journey with than that guy. You know, uh, he's been here since the beginning. You know, he's been here since the day we were fighting for uh, some minutes. And he was yelling to me when we were, <clears throat> I was 18, he was yelling to me to like pass the ball and all that. We were just fighting on the court, you know, we were kids. And now we, in this stage, doing it together. And it made me think all week, 
What creates this loyalty to a team, to a group, to a band, to a hospital? I've been at Cedars for 32 years. I have no interest in going to another hospital. And believe me, I've been asked a lot. What creates loyalty to the group? This is the topic for today. The Beatles, how great they were, only could be together for seven years, and then they broke up. Oftentimes, whether it's Frankie Valli, you name the band, they go and create a solo career. He's right. He could have joined a super team, but he didn't. He's staying. Loyalty to his city, to his team. Where does that come from? For all of us. So it made me think all week. You know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, and the world of surgery. So when you see it in one of them, look for it elsewhere. And this is what I thought of. When I heard Gianna speak as it relates to the art world, the music world. That's right. The very first song that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards wrote. Giannis has got Chris Middleton. That's his buddy. He's loyal to his buddy. He ain't going on a solo career. And it's because of all that they've been through together. It starts where you don't know it's going to be successful. And you hang in there together. Now I'm going to want you to listen to Mick Jagger sounding exactly like Giannis. Giannis talking about Chris Middleton, how he pushed him. Wait till you hear Mick Jagger talk about not only Keith Richards, but the guy who actually started the Rolling Stones and brought Mick Jagger and Keith Richards to the team was Brian Jones, who died tragically at age 27. Brian Jones is the guy who actually came up with the name. But Brian Jones bothered Mick Jagger. He pushed him. But when the Rolling Stones were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Mick Jagger took time out to say exactly what Giannis just said. I, I want to thank somebody. Two people. Ian Stewart, a piano player, but Brian Jones. Because he made me do music that I didn't really think I could do. And I thank him for it. So listen to Mick Jagger sounding a lot like the Greek freak in sports. You know, it's, it's slightly ironic that tonight we're all on it. You see us on our best behavior, um, but we're being rewarded for 25 years of bad behavior. <laughs> There's also a bit of music on the side, but um, I, I have to be slightly sappy, I suppose. And uh, I'm, I must say, I'm very proud to work with this group of musicians for 25 years. Giannis is thanking the people. And we're going to learn more about it with my guest at 8.15, the people of Milwaukee who embraced this Nigerian family that settled in Greece. Every paycheck Giannis got, he sent home to his mom. His father had died. He's got four brothers. 
She's selling trinkets on the street in Greece. He's sending that paycheck home. Well, it got to the point where he's running to the stadium, to the arena, because he's got no money in his pocket to pay for car fare. And those people in Milwaukee saw him and picked him up and drove him to the arena. And he does not forget that. We'll get more of the details at 8.15 from Mir and Fader. But listen to Mick Jagger thank Brian Jones. The other thing I'm very proud of is the songs that Keith and I have written over the last 25 years. I'd like to pay tribute to two people who can't be here tonight. One, uh, Ian Stewart, uh, a great friend, a great blues pianist, whose odd but invaluable musical advice kept us on a steady, bluesy course for most of the time. And to Brian Jones, whose individuality and musicianship often took us off the bluesy course with some often marvelous results. Yeah, here's the crazy path he took him on. The song Painted Black, which Steve Paulette's going to find for us. You're going to hear not just a guitar, but you're going to hear from India a sitar. Guess who's playing the sitar? Mick Jagger must have said, are you crazy? Yeah, that's Brian Jones saying we should play a sitar in this song. Are you kidding? That's Brian Jones. That's Chris Middleton pushing Giannis to go farther. There's a song not fade away. There's a harmonica in that song. Brian Jones is playing the harmonica, driving Mick Jagger crazy. Too bad. That's what we're going to play on this song. And he writes the lyrics to one of their greatest songs, Ruby Tuesday. You need a Chris Middleton. You need a Brian Jones. And then you get rewarded for it. Here's more from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Jean Cocteau, Jean Cocteau said, I'm going, said that Americans are funny people. First you shock them, then they put you in a museum. <laughs> Well, we're not quite ready to hang up the number yet. So on behalf of the Stones, I'd like to thank you very much for this award. Gianna shocked us. He's getting an MVP in Milwaukee. Not for the Lakers, not for New York, not for the big, the big team in Miami. No, he's doing it in the small market. And then he wins the championship. Exactly what happened to the Rolling Stones. But now listen to these beautiful sound bites. Two 80-year-old men. That's what they are now, practically. Keith Richards and Mick Jagger taking us back to their very first apartment. Just like Giannis came to basketball, he played soccer. He didn't know how to play basketball. That journey in the beginning. Awesome. Listen to the story. They're shoplifting. They can't afford their rent. They can't afford to pay for the heater and how they came up with the name Rolling Stones because of Brian Jones. What breeds loyalty to the team, to the band, to my hospital, is because of the journey. And what did we use for a sound system? Uh, Brian, uh, Brian's radio, radio which is like a piece of furniture. Yeah, it was a hi-fi, yeah. set, you know, a big piece of furniture. Radio. And a radio and a record player. And we had all our LPs. Yeah, and uh, piles of LPs. And constantly playing them. Uh, yeah. And we'd get, we'd get, did we have guitar amps in there? 
We yeah, just did yeah, the old acoustic. Yeah, we did. We used to play yeah, around. But, uh, I mean, guitars were thin on the ground. Yeah, Here's my favorite soundbite, where Keith Richards actually says to Mick Jagger, I actually don't remember us eating or sleeping. I just remember making the music, driven to become the Rolling Stones. Brian had a guitar, Keith had a guitar, and yeah. they had a, we had a sofa in the corner, we had a gas fire, which you would have put shilling in. Oh yeah, the meter. The meter, yeah, and if you didn't have yeah. a shilling. And then how did we used to eat? I think we always went out. We went out. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah. a there was a chippy there on the corner there. There there was a kind of cat. And there was, was an Italian joint. There was a well around the corner. There was a there was a fry up place. You know, weirdly to... enough, <laughs> I can't remember sleeping or eating. <laughs> <laughs> we must have we must have done that though. I can't remember. <laughs> but we must have done a lot of that. We must have eaten and slept, but I actually, weirdly enough, don't remember it. <laughs> I love that. How about this, Mick Jagger going? That's a nice piece of chocolate, Keith Richards. Where did you get it? Oh, I stuck it underneath my coat. I did a lot of shoplifting for food. And we had a lot of friends over there. Yeah, it but we also awesome. used to do a little shoplifting. Shoplifting, <laughs> I remember shoplifting for food. Yeah, you used yeah, to do yeah. that. I didn't actually. Brian and me were like, yeah, under the hood. Well, you know, this nice guy said, where'd you get that, Keith? <laughs> That's a nice piece of chocolate. Manna from heaven. <laughs> where'd you get that? There's a shop in the corner. Yeah, when you have a British accent, it doesn't sound like a crime. A little bit of shoplifting, yeah. It's like you know, powdering your nose. You're a criminal. And our, our landlord was a was, was a Welsh guy, and he, he had the dairy on the corner, and he used to charge us two what was now two pound fifty, which is exorbitant. Yeah. Well, we think it's exorbitant, but anyway, it was two pound fifty, and uh, and then uh, and then we used to pay. And sometimes we didn't have the two pound fifty. Yeah. And and he used to say, okay, we pay you. Pay us next week. He did used to let us off sometimes. He, he wasn't was the worst kind of plan. I told you Giannis sent every paycheck home to his mom to help her. Well, guess what? Here's Keith Richard, 80-year-old man. Mick Jagger talking about their mom doing their laundry. When we first moved in there, though, at both Keith and our mums used to do our washing for us. And both Keith and our mums would, would somehow get us, I can't remember how we got there, but they would deliver somehow yeah, clean clothes. British Railways. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, how did you come up with the name The Rolling Stones? I never heard this story before. It's fantastic. But this... This is why Chris Middleton deserves the credit for pushing Giannis to greatness. Brian Jones is the one who pushed these guys. And in actual fact, we were sitting on that bloody carpet uh, where we came up with the name Rolling Stones. Because that's where we were making the phone call. Wanted to put an ad into Jazz News, which was like a hip magazine, you know. Yeah, for jazz people. Brian's on the phone. We we want to. We're playing at so and so on Wednesday. Da, da, da. And they said, "Yeah, but what are you called? <laughs> what are you called? What's your name?" And we had so Muddy, we had to agree. We had Muddy Waters' album yeah. uh, on the backside, and the first track was called Rolling Stone Blues. And then we said, looked at it, "This is costing us money." Rolling Stones. That's it. And that Done. It. Boom. That was it. Wow. I want to talk about 
that journey. And coming up next, we're going to look at it in the world of sports. There actually was a superstar before Giannis came from Greece. He came from Cyprus. And I want you to hear his journey and what it must have been like for Giannis to discover basketball when he never knew it as a kid playing soccer. Well, the same thing. We're going to talk about a man who played football, one of the greatest football players in the 1970s who came from Cyprus. Never knew one end of a football from another. And don't forget, we'll do some clapper vision. The number's 877-710-ESPN. I want to talk about Anthony Rendon and hip impingement. Don't forget, Mookie Betts got a hip problem as well. You need some clapper vision to understand what hip impingement really means. And food? Oh, my God. It's about pizza. But wait till you hear about a pizza from Detroit that I found in Southern California that will knock your socks off. Greatest Detroit-style pizza I've ever had, and I'll tell you where to get it. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Wear Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Hey, Robbie. Do you like donuts? Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I love donuts. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. She would never say where she came from. Yesterday don't matter if it's gone. While the sun is bright Or in the darkest night No one knows She comes and goes Welcome back, Weekend Warriors! Yeah, the guy who wrote that song was Brian Jones, died at age 27, just like Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, there's a whole club of the Amy Winehouse. They die at 27 years old and make the biggest contributions to our lives. It's a blessing and it's a curse sometimes to be that creative. But what a joy it is to know that that's what's responsible for some of the greatest creativity. And it all came to the forefront because of hearing Giannis talk about how he could have joined a super team, but he didn't. He stays in Milwaukee. I would argue he's one of the most beloved superstars in our lifetime. He's close to Shaquille O'Neal at this point. And his career is only in the beginning. Why do I know so much about basketball? 
because I spent a good amount of time with the master of basketball, the great Dave Miller, Coach Dave Miller. We used to say, I know a lot about the hip, and he knows a lot about the hop. So God bless you, Dave Miller. My knowledge of basketball is just a little bit stronger because of knowing you. Damn right. That's right. But there was a story of someone coming from Greece and the Mediterranean who didn't know anything about American football. He's a soccer player. And when he went to Indiana University from Cyprus, they wouldn't let him play soccer because he played one summer and got paid. And the NCAA says, forget about it. You can't play soccer. But he can kick a ball. He's a great soccer player. Now he's in the middle of our country in Indiana and discovers, well, they seem to need a kicker for football. And he gets drafted by the Detroit Lions. What a story this is. Euphremium was born to Armenian parents, but on the Mediterranean Isle of Cyprus. When he immigrated to the United States in 1966, he brought with him a soccer-kicking style along with his own brand of humor. Garrow was uh, the, the comic relief for that team. Yes, sir. Sir, I am uh, five foot seven and a half when my hair is down and five eight when I comb it up. Garrow, your premium for the 1970s was the greatest kicker for the National Football League. He won two Super Bowls with the Miami Dolphins, including... The most points in 1972 on the team. And that was the year they beat everybody, went undefeated, and won the Super Bowl. And to this day, no one's done that in football. But it's because of the kicker and how many times they save, he saved their butt during the season. What's hilarious is what happened in the Super Bowl, how he kicked, got blocked, picked up the ball, tried to throw it, got intercepted, and they had a pick six, so... The score was not 17 to nothing, which would have been a beautiful fitting end to that season. It was 17 to 7 because of Garo Yepremian's bonehead idea. But I want you to listen to him talk about what it was like to discover American football from the Mediterranean, just like Giannis must have gone, what is going on? He doesn't know anything about basketball. He knows about soccer. Listen to Garo Yepremian kind of give us an insight of what it's like to be from the Mediterranean and now winding up in American sports. Thursday night, I signed a contract with the Detroit Lions when they found out that I didn't have a working permit. I said to my brother, what is a working permit? He said, first of all, you came from another country. You need a green card. And second of all, you've got to have a social security card to work in the States. I said, well, let's go and get one of each of those things right away. Oh, he said, it takes usually about a year to get that. He said, I'll talk to the management of the Detroit Lions and see what they can do. We went to the Detroit Lions, talked to Mr. William Clay Ford. He said, don't worry, we'll take care of this. The next morning, they put me in a limousine with two attorneys, took me to the immigration office, social security office, police station, by 8 o'clock, same day, my papers were all in order. What a country. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the same thing happened in Milwaukee. <laughs> I walk into the locker room. It was a huge room. I saw all these huge guys looking for their lockers. 
I found mine in the corner, and I was amazed. There was a beautiful black bag with the Detroit Lions emblem on it mm. and my name inscribed on it. I started opening it up. I was all excited to see what was in it. I opened it up, and I saw three pairs of kicking shoes. I had never had three pairs of any kind of shoes in my life. <laughs> then I saw a helmet, shoulder pads, hip pads, thigh pads, shin pads, all kinds of pads. I didn't know what went where and what went on first. <laughs> but since my brother told me to watch the other guys, I said, it's, this is going to be simple. I'll watch the other guys and do whatever they do. Uh, this is the journey. Listen to what he did with the rolls of tape. He has no idea what to do with a uniform. He doesn't know what football is. The first thing this 45 huge players did was to completely undress. I had never undressed in front of people in my life. <laughs> but they're paying me a lot of money. <laughs> I took my clothes off. I said, I guess, I wonder what, what else they're going to do now. I'll watch them. I stood there watching 45 naked guys. Picked up two rolls of tape, came up to my uh, locker. Now I'm debating to as what part of my body I should wrap up. <laughs> I'll never forget my first day at the hospital for special surgery. I'm, I'm going to be operating with the great Dr. Wilson, the chief of surgery at the hospital. He's the most famous surgeon in America. And I'm going to be the, the first-year resident in the case with him. Oh, my God. I'm in the locker room getting out of my suit and tie to get into scrubs, and there I am. I'm in my underwear in front of the locker next to Dr. Wilson, who's in his underwear. I'm going, okay. This is insane. Not supposed to be in front of my hero in my underwear. But yeah, that's exactly how it works. I said, if I wrap up my legs, it's going to impair me from kicking. Maybe I should wrap up something I don't use. I don't use the left arm. <laughs> Took the tape and I started rolling it up all the way to my shoulder. It came out beautiful. But it was kind of odd having one arm taped. I said, maybe I should have a matching arm. <laughs> So I taped the right arm, again, a beautiful job all the way up to the shoulder. But every time I walked, it was pinching me under the arm. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do with the roller tape. But now he sees another player in the locker room in the, in the shadows. Looks like maybe he taped his chest. No, it's a T-shirt, you idiot. In the back of the locker room, it was kind of dark, but I saw a guy putting his shoulder pads on. I detected something white underneath it. I said, I guess the second roll goes on your chest. So I took the second roll, started rolling it up around my neck like a turtleneck, and I started taping up my chest, and it was coming out beautifully. I was putting the finishing touches at my waist when I heard a big roar in the locker room. I looked up. There were 45 naked guys looking at me and laughing. So now he's figured out how to get his uniform on, but still he has no, he's never kicked a ball in a football game before, and he's on a professional team. You talk about a adjustment, culture shock, Garo Premium from Cyprus, around the corner from Greece. He's going to tell you now one of the funniest stories you've ever heard. This is the most dangerous game in the world. You don't know what you're getting into. We advise you that when you go out there and kick off, you'd better run out because they're going to kill you. <laughs> I lined up with my teammates. The opposing team is lined up in front of me. Referees under the goalposts. I'm all nervous. I've never done this before. Just as I'm contemplating what I'm supposed to do, I hear somebody yelling from the sidelines, and I looked out there. It was Coach Harry Gilmer. He said, Garrow, I forgot to tell you. As soon as you kick the ball, come and stand by me. 
Uh-oh. I said, I guess I'm going to get killed today. Referee blew the whistle. I ran towards the ball, <laughs> hit it perfectly with a nice swing. The ball was going beautifully end over end. It was such a beautiful kick. I forgot about running out. <laughs> then I realized they're paying me a lot of money. I figured part of my job is to pick up the tea. So I turned my back. Bend over to pick up the tea when I heard some footsteps behind me. Oh, my God. They're about to kill him. He starts running. Here's the problem. He ran to the wrong sideline in such a panic. Listen to this. It dawned on me that they had warned me to get out of there. I said, forget the tea. Save your life. I started running towards the sidelines. It felt like I was in a nightmare. My arms are moving fast. My legs are moving fast. I look behind me and I see four huge Baltimore Colts players almost on top of me. I ran as fast as I could. I must have ran so fast that I passed the sidelines already. And the next thing I saw was the bench. I said, if I sit on the bench, I'll be safe. I sat on the bench, the biggest roar you've ever heard in your life. I'm all embarrassed. I covered my face, a bigger roar in, in the stadium. I was wondering what was wrong. I looked up to see what was wrong. I was on the wrong bench. But he finally figures it out. And gets he he gets traded from the Detroit Lions and gets traded to the Miami Dolphins, and actually as the kickers, the most important player other than the quarterback on the team, scores the most points, responsible for the most points of any player on the team, even with the bonehead play that he has. But this is where the loyalty comes, the struggle. Well, it was it was going to be a nice ending, a seventeen to nothing win in a 17-0 season. Field goal makes it 17-0, 17-0. All of a sudden, here's this goofy-looking Cypriot kicker going, Yeah, you probably lost his head and tried to throw a pass. So much for the shutout. I, I feel great that we won the game, but I feel very bad that I tried to be a passer on one of those plays. Of course you want to shut out, but think about it. Think how many times they get to see what was the most comical play in Super Bowl history. God bless Garrow, your premium. He died at age 70. But what a colorful character. What a joy. What a beautiful superstar, just like Giannis. And the story is the same for the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger did not have a solo career. He's loyal to that band. That's what today's topic is. And we'll learn more about Giannis at 815 with Mirren Fader. Coming up next, I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You'll learn some Clappervision. I want to talk about hips. What happened to Anthony Rendon? Why, what is hip impingement? Well, I'll give you a hint. We'll use some Clappervision, some ice cream, and some surfer's flip-flops. But your calls are welcome as I take you into the operating room. And don't forget... I got Detroit on my mind because Matthew Stafford came from the Detroit Lions. And they were the first team to sign Garrow Your Premium. But there's a special kind of pizza in Detroit. And I need to tell you where you can get it here in L.A. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Call Clapperman on you when you change with every new day. Still I'm gonna miss you. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy pigeon stories. 
easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. I go to the Church of the Surf every Sunday. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. And ride the wild surfing waves in Ventura. I just love it. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Those are the sandals. That's the theme from my favorite movie, The Endless Summer. I got to take care of Bruce Brown. Hurt his shoulder. That actually put his shoulder back together for him. A highlight in my life to be able to take care of that guy. He discovered this group and had them do the soundtrack for the movie The Endless Summer. Yesterday, I did a very interesting shoulder surgery amongst the five big cases that I did. Because the diagnosis was that of a frozen shoulder. The fancy word is adhesive capsulitis. The clapper vision is that beautiful ball and socket joint that makes up your shoulder. It's the most mobile joint in the body. 180 degrees of movement. Lift your arm way above your head. 17 different muscles attached to the shoulder blade. It's like the ultimate puppeteer. All those strings attaching to all those different limbs so the puppeteer can make the puppet move. That's what your muscles and tendons look like. But very commonly, more so than you think, you get a bone spur in your shoulder. You get older. And you don't want to move your shoulder. Well, if you stop moving it, it freezes up. And the clapper vision is that vacuum pack. I used to love those green giant broccoli with cheddar cheese. My wife would shoot me if she heard me saying this. You're going to eat frozen vegetables? I love that. You know, canned vegetables, frozen vegetables. Listen, this is what I ate growing up. Dr. Clapper. But they vacuum pack green, the Jolly Green Giant. That broccoli with that cheddar cheese. Oh, my God. I'm sure it's not cheese. I'm sure it's like Velveeta. It's just yellow goo. But let me tell you, you want a great Philly cheesesteak? You don't want real cheese on it. You want that yellow goo. And if you go to Philadelphia like I did just to get a cheesesteak, literally the cheese is in a, it looks like yellow paint can. Like a big, like you're going to paint your house. That They literally use the same screwdriver to take the top off of the paint can, and it's this yellow goo. They could paint the road, the, like the, the yellow line between the lanes with the same stuff you wouldn't know. Hello there. And they have a wooden stick that they use, you know, to stir up the paint. That wooden stick you get at the paint store. This is what they had at the cheesesteak place I went to. Stirring up the yellow cheese, and it would stick to the wooden stick. So they put the cheese, I mean, the they grill the meat and the onions, put it in that beautiful Philadelphia roll. 
They take the wooden stick, they put it in the yellow paint can, and they put it right on top of that cheese. God knows what it is. It smells so good. Well, let me tell you something. You put that Philly cheesesteak from Philadelphia in your mouth, forget about it. It's a reason to fly to Philadelphia, even with COVID. <laughs> My mouth is watering already just thinking about it. And wait till you tell you talk about mouth watering and cheese. Detroit style pizza. You know what the name of this pizza is that you're going to order when you go to this place? It's called the Detroiter. This is what they do. It's, first of all, in the 1940s, forget about the operating room. I'm leaving the opera. Now I'm going into the kitchen. A Italian immigrant goes to Detroit to get a job because in the 1940s, this is after the Great Depression, you need a job. You moved to the Midwest. You go to Detroit because you can get a job on the assembly line. So he did. But he's missing his food that he grew up eating, particularly pizza. But he sees there's no utensils to make pizza. There's no pans that he's used to deep dish pizza. But he keeps putting oil pans on all the cars on the assembly line. So that's the first thing he does, is he makes it with a smaller pan. That's the Detroit style. Then, they ferment the dough. They don't do it the typical way New York pizza is made, which I love. Don't forget, Village Pizza and Larchmont, the greatest for New York pizza. But I ain't talking about New York pizza right now. I'm talking about Detroit pizza. So the dough is fermented, and now it's going to go into a smaller pan than a Sicilian slice. There's only four slices in this pan. If you go on Twitter, at Dr. Robert Clapper, you'll see a picture I put on Twitter from this week getting the greatest Detroit pizza. So the dough is different. Then they take the pepperoni and they plug it with their finger into the dough. This, if, if you notice, I didn't mention any sauce or cheese yet. They put the pepperoni into the dough. Then they put the brick cheese on top of it. So it's going to like cook the oil, the cheese, into the pepperoni in the dough. Then they put pepperoni on top of the cheese. And here's the other difference. The tomato sauce, the red stuff that you get in New York pizza, those tomatoes are not cooked. They're fresh tomatoes. They're going to cook in the oven when you make the pizza. But what the Detroit pizza is, it's cooked tomatoes. It's like marinara sauce. And they put it on top of the pepperonis they put on top. They don't put it under the cheese. They put it on top of the cheese. Well, the fermented dough and all that oil that comes out of the cheese and the pepperoni, you got only four slices in a pan, an oil pan from a car. Guess what happens? It burns the corners of the slices and makes it crispy. I'm telling you, your head's going to fall off when you take a bite of this. The best Detroit pizza. And I found it. But I ain't telling you yet because you're going to have to listen to the end of the show. And then I'm going to tell you where to get that pizza that I took a picture of on Twitter. Look at that. I wasted the whole segment. All right. We got to do the clap revision, and I got to take you into the operating room, and I have to teach you about what I did for this lovely woman with a frozen shoulder, which five years before I did her other shoulder, now this 
the other side got messed up. And she did so well with the one side, I did the other side. And that's what I did yesterday. But I need to explain to you what impingement is, which is actually the reason the, the shoulder becomes frozen, which is impingement, the same word I'm using to describe Anthony Rendon and what happened to his hip. So I'll explain with some clapper vision. Coming up next, sorry about all the phone calls. Sorry about all the talking, but that's what I love to do. Saturday mornings, you and me, me and you, right here on the radio on 710 ESPN. What are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar Sinai, head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. What's the best medicine? Besides chicken soup, <laughs> vitamin C, <laughs> green tea, <laughs> prunes, uh, yeah. shot whiskey, <laughs> not around here. What's the best medicine? I cannot wait. We call it clafter. <laughs> Why does the doctor need that little office for anyway? You know, his books, little stupid aquarium there. I guess he doesn't want people to see him looking stuff up. What the hell was that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was kind of gross. That wasn't the tube or the circle. Plaster. Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip, Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. He's infectious, and I can say that because I'm a doctor. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Roberto Clapperio. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Not fade away. That's Mick Jagger singing. And there's that harmonica being played by his Chris Middleton. He's Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's his buddy, Brian Jones, who started the band. The loyalty that Mick Jagger has to the Rolling Stones is exactly why Giannis won that championship in Milwaukee. He ain't leaving that city. And that's fascinating to me. In music, in sports, and in surgery. I ain't leaving Cedars. That's where I've been my whole career. Let's get back to the operating room, though. Frozen shoulder, vacuum seal. All of a sudden, that mobility of your shoulder just shrinks. The capsule shrinks. You cannot move it. You get maybe 30 degrees. You can't even touch your nose. Yeah, you go to therapy and... You you know, oftentimes that can be helpful. But if it's a really bad case of adhesive capsulitis, frozen shoulder, it ain't going to get better with physical therapy. And then you have to go to an orthopedic surgeon like me. And so under anesthesia with muscle relaxation, first you lie down on the operating room table and then you position the patient 
and we call it a beach chair position, 90 degrees of hip flexion. You're pretty much sitting up. That's how I like to do it. Some surgeons like to do shoulder surgery with you lying on your side. I don't like that. I like it when you're sitting up. And you're asleep, by the way. And then I will take my hand and literally stabilize the top of your shoulder and feel the acromion, the spine of the scapula, hold it down, and gently pop, 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 break up the adhesions called a closed manipulation under anesthesia and break all that scar up without operating on you, just moving it. You got to be careful though, because you can break someone's arm if you're too aggressive. And that's the judgment that comes and it comes with time. It's a real shame when an older doctor retires because what they take with them ain't in the book. That judgment How far do you push? How quickly do you do the manipulation? Ah, that takes time. Experience. Whatever you do for a living, you get a sixth sense after you do it 10,000 times. Well, when you're a surgeon, you get this intimate relationship with how the body works, and it's a beautiful thing. The problem with frozen shoulders for me is once I manipulate and get all the motion back, if I then just wake them up and let them go home, it's going to come back again. I got to go after what caused the problem to begin with. So what I do is arthroscope the shoulder and go into the ball and socket joint. And more importantly, then I go where the rotator cuff lives, below the acromion, the subacromial space where the bursa is, that fluid-filled sac that lubricates the joint. And what you find in that area of the shoulder is a big bone spur. Looks like a tooth. It's like going into a cave, a stalactite. You know how that drip of rock comes down. It could hit you in the head. That's exactly what it looks like. It's a spike of bone that comes down. Fancy word is called an osteophyte. In Latin, osteo means bone and fight means a spike. It's an osteophyte that's coming down north-south and it's sharp. If you stick your rubber glove in there, it'll cut your rubber glove. They're sharp. But the elegance of using the arthroscope, literally puncture wounds, you can do this. And you're looking up at a TV screen. It's like Fantastic Voyage, that old TV show, inside the joint. You don't have to open someone's shoulder up like we used to. You can do it all percutaneously. And you see that red swollen bursa. Almost uh, here's a clapper vision. It's like you got poked in the eye. Clapper vision. It's red. It's swollen. Well, that's what the inside of your shoulder looks like when you have a bursitis. It's kind of like a bloodshot eye. You vacuum away, but it bleeds. Bleeds a lot, and then you can't see. So you have to be careful to use a laser, an electrocautery type device, which cauterizes the rich redness, and it makes it not bleed. And then lo and behold, there it is, that tooth, that osteophyte, that spur. This is why I love sculpting, because guess what I use next? I use a tool that I would use in marble, a burr. God bless the guys at Arthrex. They make the best tools. I use an Arthrex burr, and I file down the spur and make it flat. I feel the, the blood flowing through me, the son of a carpenter, as I'm doing something I watch my father do filing down door you know when the door gets warped 
It sticks. You take the door off the hinges, turn it on its side, and you use that planer. I used to watch my father do that, and those beautiful curls of wood would come off the bottom of the, the wooden door. That's essentially what I see when I'm a surgeon. And if I told him this, he'd go, come on, Robbie. I'm a carpenter. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a surgeon. Stop saying it's like what I do. But he's wrong. It comes from watching him be so precise and careful of how he took millimeters off the bottom of the door. Because if you take too much off, now you have a door that has a too big of a space. The wind can come through. The dirt can come through. More importantly, the water can come through. So you just have to take enough. Ah, that's the key. When is enough enough? That's why you got to ask a carpenter who's been doing it for 32 years, like me, or a plumber who's been doing it for 32 years, like Vincent Laporcio, my favorite plumber. This is the beauty of it. And impingement is the term we use when that, it just doesn't fit, it pinches. So when Anthony Rendon, the third baseman for the Angels, the superstar that he is, to have that diagnosis of impingement, to need surgery, what exactly is going on in your hip? I just told you what the shoulder's like. What's it like in the hip? Here's a clapper vision for you. Most of us can go to a surf shop, Val Surf in the Valley. I love them. I'm a size 12 foot. I go up there talk to the Richards family and say, hey, I want a new pair of rainbow sandals. I want a size 12. Dr. Clapper, we got your size right here. But what if I walked in with my size 12 foot and they're all out of size 12 flip-flops? It's 100 degrees in the valley. That asphalt is like you can cook an egg on it. I can't be barefoot. I got to have something on my feet. So I Buy what's left, size 8. I got a size 12 foot wearing a size 8 flip-flop. At least my foot isn't going to burn on the asphalt. But the heel of my foot, the calcaneus, is going to stick over the back of that too small of flip-flop and crush the edge of that flip-flop. That is impingement. When the ball of the ball and socket joint of your hip is too big for the socket, you crush the labrum, the, the lip of the, of the socket where the labrum, the meniscus of the hip lives. You crush it and you get pain. You need to take off that spur that now occurs on the ball, the ball and socket joint and repair the labrum. That's how we treat impingement. And I got to tell you, long term, we worry because... The many, many hip surgeries I do, hip replacements, for example, hip resurfacings that I do, they're not in your grandmother. They're in you. 38-year-olds, 42-year-old, 51-year-old. You'd be surprised how young people have to do hip surgery on because of the mismatch of the ball in the socket joint. Here's another clap revision for you. You go to the ice cream store, McConnell's, love them, and you order... Churro con leche, my favorite flavor that McConnell's makes. It's so delicious. And? Yeah. And loving it. It's pieces of churros with cinnamon in their ice cream, their vanilla ice. It's like, oh my God. It's the greatest thing. 
But when you get online and it's your turn and you're like drooling, you're salivating, you can't wait to get this ice cream already, they'll ask you, you want a cup or a cone? My clapper vision for hip impingement is if you say at McConnell's ice cream, I want it on a cone and I want a cup. They'll look at you like, what are you, crazy? Yep. Take the scoop of churro cone leche on the cone, turn it upside down, and stick it in the cup. That's a ball, the, co- the scoop of ice cream, in the acetabulum, in the socket, the cup. It's now upside down. And the cone is your femur, your thigh bone. So move it around in the cup. Look how beautiful the clearance is because you're centrally located in the center of the cup and your upside down ice cream cone is in there. Well, what if the person behind the counter did not put the ice cream directly on top of the cone? They were thinking of their girlfriend last night and they got kind of uh, lost interest. And when they put the scoop on the cone, they put it on at a 45 degree angle, not directly on the cone. They must have had a hell of a night with that girlfriend. That's all I'm thinking about. But on the other hand, I'm going, hey, my ice cream is not centrally on the cone. And then they'll say, you want a cup? Yeah, I'll take the cup anyway. Now you put that ice cream with the 45-degree angle of the ice cream scoop, the, the ball on the cone, cockeyed, but you now put it into the cup upside down. Try to rotate the femur, the cone, and the ice cream in that cup, guess what happens? It bangs into the side of the cup. That's what happens in impingement of your hip. The ball is not centrally located in the socket, and it bangs into the edge of the cup. It bangs into the edge of the acetabulum and beats up the labrum. So surgery is to actually sculpt and file down that bump, repair the labrum, And that's the surgery we do for hip impingement. So God bless you, Anthony Rendon. We'll be praying for you. And now you know the rest of the story, huh? Now you understand frozen shoulders, frozen ice cream, and hip impingement. You're welcome. You're welcome, as they say in Yiddish. Dr. Clapper. All right, coming up next, the story of Giannis Antetokounmpo is fascinating to me. And at 8.15, my guest will be calling in Mirren Fader, his biographer. But I want you to learn a little bit about why Giannis stays in Milwaukee. The loyalty he has for a small-town franchise. Why does he have it? And why does it remind me of this guy, Mick Jagger, staying with the Rolling Stones? You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710. ESPN. It's good to be king, right, King James? Absolutely. And good to be courtly friends on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. I love it. Be treated like medical royalty with Clapper Vision. Feast like a monarch on Doc's delectable finds. There we go. And that far rockaway jester humor. <laughs> Search Weekend Warrior and click on Doc's regal picture. Cool. <laughs> Sound the trumpets. No cortisone, alchemy, or leeches here. Everything's good. Bow, curtsy, like, or follow the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. That makes me happy. Cheers.